This is the Bird Hugger Podcast with Katherine Greenleaf, the podcast for people who love birds. Welcome to the Bird Hugger Podcast. I'm Katherine Greenleaf, and I'm so glad to be with you. I'm on board for a full 30 minutes of talking all things birds and restoring native habitat. What happens when a burnt-out college professor living in New England decides to become a wildlife rescuer and rehabilitator? Find out on Bird Hugger, the podcast for people who love birds. Join host Katherine Greenleaf, who has been rehabilitating injured wildlife for 20 years, and hear how you can turn your backyard into a native oasis for birds. Hello there, everybody. I hope you're all doing well. The leaves are already starting to turn red, yellow, and orange, and the overnights are getting chilly. Time to put on a sweater, drink some apple cider, and take long walks through the woods. It's also time to assess the gardens and take stock. Native plant and seed companies are taking orders right now for next year. Do you know what you'll be planting come next spring? Perhaps today's guest can help. We will be talking with Emily Baisden, the seed manager at Wild Seed Project. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. If you are enjoying this show and like what we do, please help us out by subscribing or following us on your favorite app to access our free show. That way you'll get notified of what's coming, you'll never miss a show, and it will help us in the ratings. Our guest today is Emily Baisden, the seed manager for Wild Seed Project in Portland, Maine. We'll be discussing her organization's brand new booklet, Native Shrubs for Northeast Landscapes. This amazing booklet describes shrubs for every kind of location and situation you can think of. And now I'd like to welcome Emily Baisden to the show. Emily, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, I'm excited. This is great having you on the show. You've got this beautiful brand new booklet on native shrubs. Could you tell our listening audience a little bit about Wild Seed Project and how you came to be involved with them? Yeah, definitely. So Wild Seed Project is a nonprofit based out of southern coastal Maine area, and we work to provide people with all of the tools necessary to bring native plants back to their homes primarily from seed-grown plants. So we have a seed sale, we have a yearly publication that comes out every year that the last three were guides. So this year's was Native Shrubs, which is really fun and exciting for me. And we have a whole membership program that you can come to our membership Q&As and ask all sorts of plant-related questions. And we do a whole bunch of cool community work where we do demonstration gardens to show people ways they can use native plants in the places that they live, work, and play. Your seed manager there. Tell me, what is involved with that job? Yeah, uh, it's a really big title because we are so focused on seeds. So I can do anything from the propagation of seeds. We do an annual seed plant sale. I collect a lot of the seeds along with some really amazing volunteers that we have. I work towards packaging everything and I do a lot of educational stuff as well. Now we've had a lot of new listeners join us in the last couple of weeks, so they may be new to this concept, but tell us why are native shrubs so important to the ecosystem? Yeah, so native shrubs are very important to the ecosystem for a lot of different reasons. 
I know this is a bird podcast, which is cool because I'm a big bird fan. My background is in entomology and wildlife conservation, and all of those things go hand in hand together. A lot of it is building food webs and making them functional, but shrubs provide more than just food too. They also provide a lot of shelter and a lot of the nesting areas that our wildlife need to survive. So native shrubs provide the food, shelter, and nesting areas that our wildlife need to survive year-round. We also are facing a pretty major loss of edge habitat and understory in our woods and field edges. It tends to be either we let mature forests grow in and we lose some of that understory, and then our edges have been mixed with plants that don't support the biodiversity that the native plants support. So as we know with food webs, Native plants support insects and everything up the food chain better than non-native plants. Something like 90% of insects can only feed on plants that they have an evolutionary history with. That's a pretty large number. And then on top of that, things like birds, something around 96% of our terrestrial birds raise their young on insects. So the insects need the plants and the birds really need the insects. And native plants are the things that are supporting a lot of those insects. And that goes for all native plants, not just shrubs, but there's some really, really cool shrubs out there that both provide food for over a hundred species of insect and are fruiting plants. So they provide a lot of food for our frugivorous birds or seed eating birds. So they do a lot of different things. Right. So like I say to our listeners, you could have a yard filled with beautiful, colorful, non-native, exotic or ornamental shrubs, yet the birds in your yard will be starving. They don't attract the native insects and they don't provide the native insects that birds need because that is vital protein for them to feed to their young. And also adults eat insects as well. Could you talk about the different shrub guilds. I know in the booklet, it it breaks it down into various different shrub guilds. Could you tell our listeners what is a shrub guild and and maybe mention one or two? Yeah. So we like to put things in terms of how you would plant multiple species. So the idea of guilds is rather than planting a whole bunch of one species, finding a good mix of species that can be planted together and won't outcompete each other and work really well together to provide the most diversity and therefore the most biodiversity available. So we've got things like shade dwelling plants that grow really well together. There's a really cool one called at pavement's edge. So those are shrubs that do really well with things like road salt, things like hot conditions and compact ground, which I think that's really cool because a lot of people think that we can only add native plants into areas that already have a whole bunch of space, but you don't actually always need that much space for shrubs. We also have a section on slope huggers, which is kind of cool. Plants that are pretty good for things like erosion control. People really struggle to plant things on a good slope, but there's a lot of native shrubs that can spread in a really nice way that can handle slopes. So shrubs can be excellent for preventing erosion. Yes. So our guilds are also split up. So like, for example, the shade ones are split up in groups of plants that can do better in wetter conditions or better in drier conditions or rockier conditions. So it's a lot about the right plant in the right place to fill that site condition need that you have rather than trying to change your site for a plant. You can learn your site and plant the appropriate plant for those conditions. Right. Now tell us about Hedges by Homes. Hedges by Homes is kind of a funny one. It's cool because it's kind of 
brings up the fallacy of native plants have to look messy where they can actually look very designed and very ornamental. And that's the idea with that is there's a lot of native shrubs that are really quite gorgeous. They have flower for really long times. They have, some of them are evergreen and have really cool shapes. So they fill this role that maybe people thought that non-native plants are the only ones that can, like ornamental non-native plants are the only ones that could fill that role. There's some really good examples of native shrubs that do that. Now, is there a time that you recommend for planting native shrubs? Is there a best time of the year or can you plant them in the spring and the fall? I prefer fall planting, but you really can plant them any time of year. This year was funny. Up here, at least, it stayed pretty cool and pretty rainy for a really long time, which is actually perfect shrub planting temperatures. So we were able to plant shrubs through a lot later in the spring than I normally would. But generally, I tell people to plant in the fall, things are starting to get cool, the plant is putting more energy towards its roots rather than its leaves, and it's cooler, so you're not really as worried about making sure to water it in time. If we were talking about the year previous to this year, we were in a drought for a really long time, so a lot of spring-planted shrubs were struggling throughout the summer to get enough water. Now, the booklet talks about using sheet mulch for new shrub plantings. How does that work exactly? Yeah, it's actually a tool I really like to use personally at home. I get a lot of shrubs. If I'm not growing them from seed, I get them bare root. When you go to plant your shrub, you can layer sheet mulch on, which is really just layers of cardboard. I pull the plastic tape off if it's got plastic tape on it. And then I cover it with some aged bark mulch or just some wood chips. Wood chips tend to be cheaper. It allows me to plant a shrub pretty much in like a lawn without needing to do a whole bunch of lawn removal. I can put that cardboard and the mulch around the plant that I planted. It will kill that grass and kind of buffer it so that other plants don't come up, but it can keep a lot of really good moisture around the roots of those fresh young shrubs. And you also in the booklet talk about starting a hedgerow. What are the advantages of hedgerows for wildlife and how do you get started planting one? It kind of depends on what you're looking for. We encourage farmers to go and think about using productive hedgerows. So using plants that provide food for wildlife as well as food for humans. There are so many native plants that are produce edible fruits, but they also produce fruits that birds eat or their, their leaves are eaten by insects. And having a good diversity in your hedgerows can do that. So it's essentially a row of shrubs and you can choose how diverse you want them to be. I prefer to add diversity just because that's what I care about. <laughs> and picking plants that, like I said, fit into those site conditions and it ends up being pretty productive. And on top of just having food production, a lot of those plants that work well in hedgerows are also really great pollinator plants. So we found that when we talk to farmers who have put these hedgerows in, they also see increased yields in their crops because they're getting all these native pollinators that are doing that bulk of like ecosystem service pollinating. It seems to me a hedgerow is a great way to increase the offerings you have for the birds in your yard by maybe screening all four sides of the yard or the sides that would screen out noisy neighbors. <laughs> Mm -hmm. If we quiet down the yard and make it more accessible to birds, would it, we would attract them more easily because birds are scared off by loud noises. And also the offerings of the berries and the seeds and nuts that they offer would just really make your yard so much more attractive to wildlife. 
Yeah, absolutely. We are, the Wild Seed Project is building this native seed center in Cape Elizabeth, a Cape Elizabeth land trust property called Turkey Hill Farm. And part of our management plan for that spot is to build a very large hedgerow. I'm growing the shrubs from seed, so it's slow going, but it will kind of go along one whole side of the border between the neighbor's property and our property. And it'll be really cool. It's an interesting spot because it goes from kind of a small wetland and then up a hill towards a, a much drier area. So it'll be a fun, really cool example of the wide variety of plants you can use in a hedgerow. Right. We have kids next door that love to play volleyball and kickball. And for years, the balls kept soaring right over into our <laughs> yard and landing on our plants in the garden, crushing plants that we were planting. <laughs> so we planted a tall hedgerow and the balls just don't make it over the hedgerow anymore. They kind of get caught and bounce back into uh-huh. their yard. So that has helped a great deal with damage to our plants. Also, you know, we had so much rain this year. I noticed that our hedgerows were really good at holding onto the soil and preventing erosion and absorbing all of that heavy rain. Absolutely. So now the booklet also talks about, and I'm sure you know all about this because you're the seed manager, starting native shrubs from seed. Now, I mean, most of us work full-time jobs or raising kids or grandkids or you'd have to be really patient and have a lot of time on your hands to be able to raise shrubs from seeds. Am I right? Doesn't it take a long time? Yeah. Well, depending on the shrubs, some shrubs are much faster than others, but some of them, yeah, it takes quite a while. I do find once it's going, so sometimes it'll take like two or three years to get a, a decent sized plantable shrub. But then once it's in the ground, they really catch up very, very quickly to anything that you'd get that was propagated clonally or um, by cuttings and things like that. Right. So if you are not able to get your hands on a particular native shrub that you really wanted for your yard to help the birds and the wildlife, you could try to raise it by seed Mm -hmm. and do that until they're available as a shrub to purchase. Growing from seed could be a great way to get what you want without having to wait. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of benefits of growing from seed. For one, like I said, the plants tend to be healthier. They've been doing it on their own for a while, so the roots aren't fresh. They're not trying to hold up a a cutting of a stick. And seed-grown plants in general are going to be more genetically diverse. We talk about diversity so much, and often genetic diversity doesn't always get thrown in as much, but seeds really provide that genetic diversity. A lot of the Plants that we find in the horticulture industry and in garden centers were clonally propagated, which really just means cuttings of the mother plant. But that means they're clones. They're exactly identical to those mother plants, which means they're not finding that new traits or adaptations to environmental changes that seeds provide. Uh, If we think about one plant producing hundreds to thousands or more seeds, each of those seeds is going to be genetically unique. It's its own little embryo, totally unique individual. And when we just use clonally propagated plants, we lose that genetic diversity. And that tends to be just as important as biodiversity and things like that. And there are some plants that really are pretty easy to grow from seeds. Some of our shrubs, surprisingly, one of my favorite shrubs, bayberry, is actually surprisingly easy to grow from seed. I started some last winter and they're already like four or five inches tall. So just in a couple of years, they'll be 
quite large and good enough to plant out and they'll take off from there. Could you maybe walk us through how you would grow bayberry from seed? Yeah, it's, it's surprisingly easy. I collect the fruits starting in the fall, wait until they're fully ripe. You can really feel that fruit once it's kind of hardened and comes right off the plant. Really, they hold on to their fruits so long, which is part of why they're really great for birds is they hold on to their fruits for a really long time. So birds can eat them throughout the winter. So you can even collect them in the winter. And then I, I rub the waxy coating. If you're familiar with them, they kind of have a powdery waxy coating on those fruits. They're little blue hard fruits. And I just remove it a little bit. I'll like rub it on a grate or just even in my fingers for a little bit. And then I sew them into pots in the wintertime in soil, cover it with some sand that's about equal to the depth of the seed. And then I put them outside and I leave them outside in a protected area. So protected with hardware cloth or some sort of screen to keep critters out. Remember, everybody likes to eat seeds, so we got to protect them. And then I let it go all, all winter. Sometimes it can take two years to germinate, but the past couple years, all of mine have come up that season I planted them in the spring. Yep. And then I just grow them on until they're they're big enough to plant out. And do they remain outdoors the whole time you're growing them? Yes. All of the native plants that I grow stay outside the entire time. So they're all fully adapted to the main climate up here. Right. I mean, I, I think, you know, so many people, myself included, think if you're going to grow from seed, you have to have seed trays with growing lights and it's indoors. And, right. Yeah. Yeah. Or, warming mats plugged in underneath and <laughs> right right it's one of the things i really love about growing native plants and one of the things i really love about leading seed sowing workshops we do a bunch of them throughout the fall and early winter and i always start out saying think about how you grow vegetable seeds and throw it all out the window it's really something that anybody with access to a pot and some soil and some sand can do and you can use reclaimed things. I know people who are growing with old window screens that they have to protect their plants, and they have great success with that. You don't need a greenhouse. You don't need all of that extra stuff. And I think that's really cool. Right. To keep those chipmunks out. Yeah. Yep. That's the big thing. <laughs> keep the chipmunks and the mice out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So now, could you maybe walk us through sumac? Is sumac an easy shrub to grow from seed? Yeah, sumac is another pretty easy one, and they're starting to ripen right now. You'll see their red fuzzy fruits showing up all over the place, and they're such a common plant. They're really easy to, to collect, and you do want to take the fuzzy coating off of the plant. I've seen some people use a dull food processor for it, but I find I can just do it with my hands and kind of like pick the little coating off, and you'll find these little disc-shaped seeds. They're really pretty, I think. And it's nice because while you're processing them, all that lemon flavor from that citric acid that's all on those fruits is really tasty. You can lick your fingers as you go. <laughs> and you take those seeds out. I do soak them overnight. Sometimes I'll pour hot water over them and then let them soak overnight. And you'll see the seed actually grow in size, imbibing that water. Um, some people will scarify them. I find a good mixture of taking the seed coat off, rubbing them on a little bit of sandpaper and plopping them in a jar of some water and leaving that overnight makes them really ready to germinate. And then I do everything else. I put them outside, same as with the bayberry. And by spring, I usually have some germination. So now just getting back to birds for a second, what shrubs could you recommend to our listeners who want to get started 
drawing birds to their yards? Are there several shrubs that you would recommend to them? Oh, yeah. There's so many. And, and like I said earlier, so much of it depends on your site conditions and what you what kind of site you have. So if you have like a wet area, I'm a huge fan of things like buttonbush, winterberry, and elderberry, and highbush blueberry, if you can get it. Those are really, really great productive plants. If you have more kind of dry, coastal, can handle some salt tolerant things, things like bayberry, like I was talking about before. Our native hazelnuts are really cool. Plus, if you can get the seeds before the squirrels, they're really tasty. Sumac, I'm a huge fan of spirea. It supports also a whole bunch of pollinators, which is really a double whammy, nice thing. And if you're looking for things that are pretty common in garden centers, viburnums and dogwoods, our native viburnums and dogwoods are really great. They both support over 100 species of caterpillar. So that's a whole bunch of bird food. Uh, and they both produce berries that birds also eat. Viburnums will, a lot of like viburnum dentatum, our arrowwood viburnum will hold its fruits for a while, which is really nice. And these are all things, all the ones that produce fruits, produce way healthier fruits for birds. So it's not just that the insect food is better, but also the fruits are higher fat content than some of the common non-natives, things like autumn olive, things like bittersweet, that sometimes you hear people say, oh, they're okay because birds are eating them. But that's not really true. It's kind of like the idea of, you know, I can eat a whole bunch of Sour Patch Kids and they're delicious, but they're not necessarily that good for me. It kind of goes with the same way with our fruiting shrubs is the native ones provide way more fat content for these birds to be able to survive a winter. So tell us now, do you have a native garden at home? I do, or you could call it a native garden. I call it a habitat. Um, <laughs> I have some very small kind of established, more ornamental style garden. I have less than an acre. I have like about 0.65. That 05 really matters. <laughs> and what do you have planted there? I have a whole bunch of stuff and it's cool because one of the fun things about when I moved into this property was looking at what I had. So I'm kind of near the Androscoggin River. So my backyard is fairly wet with deep shade, my far backyard. But I also have a blueberry barrens like across the street from my house. So my front yard is dry sand. So I got to do a lot of fun mixing of things. But I've put in some maple leaf viburnums. I've put in some spice bush, which I'm really excited about trying to get that to produce fruits. I've put in a bunch of viburnums and dogwoods. I also, when I moved in, it had been managed by whoever was living there before. So it was a lot of lawn. And the first thing I did was just not mow anymore and waited to see what was in the seed bank and what would come up. And funny, my front yard started getting things like lowbush blueberry and spireas and cool dry blueberry barrens plants, little blue stem, things like that. And then my backyard started getting things like skunk cabbage. And we've got some really nice witch hazels back there. And that was really cool to, to see what kinds of plants were already there. And then I could build up the habitat that would go along with those plants. Right. I think you're being very wise and taking your time and waiting to see what came up before you started planting. I, I always advise people that buy new property is to kind of it's hard it's hard to sit and wait but wait a season or two and look and see what is actually coming up 
before ripping lots of things out because native plants are sneaky. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they, and I've know, been... they, they can wedge themselves in between non-native plants and do quite mm-hmm. well. And you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater by right. accidentally ripping out the natives that are beneficial. So absolutely. that's very smart on your part, I think. Yeah, I've been there for about about four years now. And the, the first thing I did was yank out some of the honeysuckles that I didn't want there and things like that. And I knew a few plants that I wanted to put in. I knew I wanted plethora and things like that that smell good and bring in pollinators very quickly. But even in the past four years, it wasn't even like the first year all everything in my seed bank came up. I'm still finding new species that are waking up. And that's one of the really cool things about native plant shrubs is or not shrubs, native seeds is that they go through these really impressive dormancies and it really just takes the right trigger to break through that dormancy, which is part of why we sow these seeds in the winter is that a lot of our native plants have evolved over millennia to have this winter dormancy and they need those freezes and colds and snows and ice to break that dormancy. But seeds can stay dormant in the seed bank, like in your soil for hundreds of years. We really don't know how long they could stay. There's a lot of studies trying to guess it, but it's really interesting. I had just this year, Pearly Everlasting showed up in my yard and I hadn't hadn't planted it there. And that was really cool. I'm always getting new asters and things like that. So it's cool. It's a waiting game and a fun observational science game. It is. It's very cool. I killed my lawn. You know, I turned my lawn into a meadow. And it's been several years now, and I'm seeing all kinds of interesting natives coming up. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And in some cases, I'm leaving them be. In some cases, I'm digging them up and moving to better spots. But it is amazing how long those seeds will sit in the ground and wait for their chance to break dormancy and, and start sprouting. So as we wrap up here, is there anything else you'd like to say to our listeners about growing native shrubs? Yeah, I'd say just... Don't get overwhelmed and have fun with it. Try things out. If you're not sure if it's going to work, just try it. I always tell everyone, everyone that grows a lot of plants has killed a lot of plants. And it's sad, but that's how we learn how to take care of them. So don't be too hard on yourself and just try it because it's really exciting when it works. (laughs) I'd like to thank Emily Baisden for joining us today. To order the new booklet, Native Shrubs for Northeast Landscapes, go to wildseedproject.net. Join Americans everywhere in the one-third for the birds movement. Dedicate the back third of your yard to birds and other wildlife. Make this area a quiet zone with no leaf blowers or lawnmowers. Plant native trees and shrubs so birds have plenty of insects to eat. Create a safe haven for birds to nest and raise their young. You will be rewarded with many hours of bird watching fun. For more information on One Third for the Birds, go to the Bird Hugger page on Facebook. And that's it for today's episode, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Have a great week and enjoy the birds. Bye for now. Bye for now.